Welcome to the teaching ministry of Judah Oloromai, compelling consecration, provoking repentance, and inspiring worship by the preaching and teaching of God's word and the miraculous demonstration of his power. Get ready to experience the transforming power of his word. There's a whole lot to say this morning, but I would trust God to give me speed and simplicity so that we don't unnecessarily drag the matter. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, paraventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. I will say the verse 25 again. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God paraventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. I'm teaching this morning on the gift of repentance. The gift of repentance. Let us quickly pray here. Lord, we trust your word. So do great things in our hearts. We open up our lives to the truth and let the gift of repentance be much in the service. In the name of Jesus, let it be surplus and overwhelming. In the name of Jesus, help us to find our way back to the truth. In Jesus' name, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray. So, the gift of repentance December is a very interesting month and for me as um, a young man recollecting the basis for much of the frenzy and excitement that comes at the time of the year one of the things that makes December remarkable is that it's a time of gifts. Many of us grew up in homes where only December um, allows for the exchange of gifts. There is even a day on the 26th of December called Boxing Day. When I was an illiterate, I thought it was a day of punches and blows. As I studied further, I discovered it was a day to exchange gifts. And so already that affirms that the month emphasizes giftings and givings. You know, there are many little children who look forward to December because they want to collect gifts from uncles and aunties, gifts from loved ones. Even in circular organizations, this time of the year, there are usually awards and maybe gifts after the calendar year to celebrate their success. 
So December is quite notable for gifts. We, of course, celebrate the gift of Jesus, perhaps the climax of the month. Every Christmas, 25th of December, we celebrate Christmas Day and we rejoice for the gift of Jesus. Hallelujah! I've always looked forward to December. Particularly when I was growing up, um, I did not have <laughs> much to celebrate. My parents were not too buoyant. But at least there was banger and Christmas light in the neighborhood. People were often more cheerful than angry. And even people were very generous, no matter how little they had. You could probably walk up to any neighborhood and get something to eat. I don't know if it still happens now in this economy, but in 1999, 1998, I mean, people would just cook, and then you could walk up to your neighbors and say, Christmas, and all of that, and just rejoice and celebrate. So December is renowned for gifts. And um, as a spiritual people, we're also not exempted from that reality. We've spoken about Christmas, the gift of Jesus. But beyond Christmas, or aside Christmas, we must see God as a constantly generous God. A God that is always giving. Everybody say, God is always giving. It's not about December. For God, it's not a December thing. <laughs> we celebrate and do Boxing Day. And every 26th of December, we exchange gifts. But God is always giving. He doesn't wait for December. January gives. February gives. March, April, May. Every day, God gives. Every second, every minute. God exists as a giving being. In James 1.17, we are told every good and perfect gift cometh from above. From the Father of light. With him there is no variableness, neither any shadow of turning. Simply put, in modern language, God does not change. When he says Father of light, no shadow, it means God does not change. Just like the sun is always shining, but because of the various activities of other planets, it seems like the sun takes a break. But no, the sun never takes a break. It always shines. So God, Father of light, always generous, always gracious, never in a bad mood to say he will not give again. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from above the Father of light. Hallelujah. Corinthians 9.15 Paul, having convinced his audience with respect to generosity, began to thank God for what he calls an unspeakable gift. In other words, gifts that are so mind-blowing and they are beyond words. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gifts. I don't know if you have received a gift before and you could not talk. You're like, ah, Paul. You know, every time God gives, that should be our response, actually. You should never become too familiar with the gift of God that you lose the excitement for it. Hallelujah. Wake up every morning and thank God that you are saved. That you are not going to hell. That you are a child of God. That you have eternal life. It's a good thing to do. God is a God of gifts. But perhaps more importantly in my conversation this morning, most of the gifts of God are disguised. I've seen it. I've researched it. 
I've analyzed it and I can come to a conclusion that most, not many, most of the gifts of God, particularly in the realm of men, are disguised. Of course, the real problem is that man does not think the way God thinks. Just like some of you have what is called your love language. There's a way you want to be appreciated. Is that not so? How many people like bank a lot? Credit a lot as their love language. Okay, I see some people here. May God grant you your heart desire. Now, God knows your love language. He understands it. He can speak it. God can speak every language. Is that not a wonderful thing? That God can speak my language. If your language is touched, God can hug you. Amen. You don't have to hug pillow. God can hug you. We've spoken about the hands of God last month. And it's a hand of warmth and comfort. We saw Jesus touch little children just to affirm his love towards them. But I'm saying here that just as God or we have our own love language, God also have or has his own language as it were. So many times when he gives us things, particularly things that we need, not necessarily things that we like, we may not even be able to discern that this is a gift of God. If you are a parent, you will understand this more accurately. That a little child may like certain things. And the generosity of the parent has to be combined with the wisdom to recognize and separate needs from wants. And says, I know this little child likes to take sweets and chingum. However, that's not what he needs. So I'm going to give him a gift that he needs. The other day I was still scolding Perez. Every time he walks around the neighborhood because of his star boy status. People want to give him sweets. Give him chingum. So I asked him, have you ever seen me lick sweets? He said, no. I said, be imitators of me as their children. I don't lick sweet. Why are you licking sweet? Come on. Jummy now. Jummy. So I was able to convince him for one day. I'm not sure whether the lesson is a permanent one. But I'll keep trying to convince him that. I've told him. Sweet cause mouth odor. Hmm? Excessive sugar. You don't have to live your life just on sweetenings and sweet things and sweetness. Unhealthy. But the point I'm making here is this. Although I'm generous, I've got to separate the lusts and desires of my little child from what he genuinely needs. And so, every time I give my boy something, because his capacity of comprehension is not that great yet, he may not necessarily appreciate it as a gift. God gives gifts in several ways, or God gives several gifts on many of them are camouflaged many of them are concealed many of them have to be discerned many of the things that god gives us we don't thank him for it honestly for instance god rebukes when last did you thank god for rebuking you god corrects when last did you thank god for correcting you 
For instance, God gives wisdom, insight, revelation, understanding. When last did you read a scripture, understood what it meant, and say, God, I thank you that I understand what this verse is now saying. Because we're in a realm of tangibility and physicality. We only appreciate what is tangible, what we can touch, what we can hold, what we can spend. Meanwhile, most of the things that God gives are not tangible. Are you listening to me? Many of the things that God gives are not tangible. When he gave Jesus, he didn't look like he was the savior of the world. Yeah, he's the king of the Jews, born to a carpenter. Yeah, he's the king of the Jews. There was no place for him to even be born at first. They had to be looking elder skelter, running elder skelter, to look for a place to birth him. Yet he is the savior of the whole world. But it didn't look like it. Many of the gifts of God will come concealed. You will have to discern. You will have to look beyond the wrapper. As it were. You will have to look beyond the package and recognize the gifts of God. It was Jesus who said that to the woman at the well. I think in, in John, rather, uh, chapter 4, this should be verse 10. It says, if you know the gifts of God, because the woman was talking about where are you going to get fetter? If you know who is standing before you, if you recognize the gift of God, because often the gift of God is not easily recognized. Hallelujah. It's easy to recognize me now as the pastor. I'm wearing a beautiful jacket and I'm speaking with a very touche accent. But most of my works are not done like this. My greatest works are not done like this. My greatest works are done when the camera is off. My greatest works are done in t-shirts and shirts. If you, you know, allow your perspective to be limited to the packaging, you will miss out on the gift of God. Hallelujah! Some of the greatest sermons that Jesus preached, well, every sermon he preached was great. But some of the most profound things in our perception, he said them to an audience of one. The doctrine of being born again, Jesus was talking to one person. Nicodemus, just one person. One person. So the point I'm making here is this, the gifts of God are often disguised. You will have to have spiritual intelligence to recognize them. Glory to God. Glory to God. And one of the things that God gives, which we may not know, is that he gives repentance. This is a great gift that many believers are not aware of the gift of repentance. That's what we are speaking about this morning. We've read it in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 25. Paul says the man of God has to be meek, has to be patient, and he has to speak in a particular way. And as he speaks, he has to hope that paraventure, the word paraventure is a hopeful phrase. Hallelujah. Para, can you hear me? Paraventure, God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. You see, eternal life is a gift of God, salvation is a gift of God. Proud to those gifts, there was the gift of repentance that allowed us to now lay hold on eternal life. Because 
when somebody is a child of the devil, is a slave of the devil, is held captive. There's a phrase, held captive. I'm not sure if it's in this chapter. Alright, it's actually in the next verse. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, that is out of the trap. How many of you have caught rats before with your trap? Do, do traps still work? I was watching a video of the intelligence of rats. They have evolved. They have brain now. Well, rats have brain. Rats are mammals. Is that not so? Smart, smart species. <laughs> but now they observe. They test. Say, this thing I trap, they test. The video I watched, I don't even know whether it was real or it was Photoshop. I don't understand. The rats try to pick a stick. And when they put the stick on the trap, I said, hey, I said it. The trap closed and the food came out of the trap. So the, the rats received the food with thanksgiving. He takes care of the sparrows. How much more me? The, the rats ate the food and thanked the Lord. So there are traps. And he's saying that, you see, the idea of the gift of repentance is so that people will come out of the snare of the devil. Now, when somebody is ensnared by the devil, he cannot from within break out of that trap. He needs an external influence, an external force to open the prison gate. So in explaining salvation, you must understand that it is the gift of God that makes people repent. Of course, we understand the, the place of faith. We understand the place of man's response to the gift of God. But you must understand that salvation is so divine in its tool, its essence, its execution. It's not what we did to God. It's what God did for us. Hallelujah. So repentance is a gift. It's a gift. So he says these guys have been taken captive by him at his will. Put this in another version. Let me play around that verse a little bit. Or I should say walk around that verse. Then they will come to their senses. Hallelujah. Amen. There are many people out of their senses. Many people out of their senses. You know, I've discovered that sinners do very stupid things. And many times, they, 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 can't, they can't help it. They can't help it. They are bound. They are held captive. Somebody knows this is poison and is eating it. He's asking for a second round. Stupid silly things. Because this is the state of the sinner. They are held captive by the devil. So until they come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. So what the King James calls snare, the NLT calls trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Oh, there. That's why when I see a believer, I envy a sinner. I laugh. You are envying somebody who has been held captive and who does whatever Satan wants. The money he makes, he makes it because Satan wants him to make it. The money he spends, he spends it because Satan wants him to spend it. It's just like feeding a Christmas chicken to kill. Imagine somebody envying Christmas chicken. Say, Fato, hey, I wish I can be like him. Chicken, where they go key? Did they feed them so that they go, they go chop them? 
Somebody is now envying the chicken. Say, hey, hey, a very robust chicken. Oh God, give me robustness like this chicken. That's how we do to unbelievers because we don't understand the state of the sinner. Hallelujah. So I'm saying that for the sinner to break out of captivity, he does not do it out of willpower. Satan and the sinner are not mates. The sinner does not just get to walk out of Satan. Uh uh, no, no. There has to be a higher force, a superior power that breaks the chains of captivity and liberates men. That is what is referred to as the gift of repentance. Hallelujah. Put in Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. We see Paul explaining this same concept. Chapter 2, please, not chapter 12. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Or despised thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Put this in another version. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended like that? His kindness is intended to turn you from sin. Now, the idea is that every time you see an expression of God's kindness, God's forbearance, it is the gift of repentance. Glory to God. Can you hear me? You see, the gift of repentance is shown in the kindness of God, in the mercy of God, in the patience of God. So you may say, God is patient with me, but actually it's a gift of repentance because the idea is that the essence of that kindness is not just to make God look like a nice guy. It is supposed to trigger, provoke repentance. So we are supposed to ponder on the kindness of God and say, Wow, God is so good, I'm repenting. Hallelujah. This is why the man of God must not strive, according to 2 Timothy 2, 25, because the striving of the man of God creates a picture of a God who has lost his patience. A God who is no longer merciful. And once that is removed from the equation, then the principle of the dispensing of the gift of repentance is cut short. Because one of the things that Satan has used to deceive the present world is that God is not merciful. God is not kind. And since he's not kind, there is no way you can repent. Satan tells his prisoners, you can't leave these prison cells. You can't leave these things because who are you going to go to? God is angry with you. He's going to reject you. So even when people seemingly hear a dimension of the gospel, many times it is nullified because lies from Satan affirms or tells them that God hates you. God is angry with you. God can never forgive you. God does not want you. And so the door of repentance, as it were, is shut. So the revelation of the kindness of God, the revelation of the mercy of God, the revelation of the love of God is an expression of, 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 of the gift of repentance. And this is not just about a work gospel. It's not just about Jesus loves you. In the day, John the Baptist stood in the wilderness and cried, Repent! That was God's love. Glory to God. I told you that many of us will never appreciate God 
if he rebukes us. Because you don't see it as love. Meanwhile, it is the gift of God. Just not in the way that you probably want it. But in the way that you need it. God does not give you what you want. He gives you what you need. Let me rephrase. God does not just give you what you want. And there are things you may want and God can give you. But what he majors on is what you need. Glory to God. The world needs to hear the truth. The world does not want to hear the truth. But they need to hear the truth. And every time they hear the truth, it is an expression of the gift of God towards repentance. The truth of a fallen world. The truth of a broken world. The truth of the inability of man to save himself. The truth that there is only one savior in Christ Jesus. The world needs to hear the truth. They call it hate speech, but it is the truth. Because that's the only thing that can lead them to repentance. Lies don't lead anybody to repentance. It may make them feel good. It may ease their broken and seared conscience. But it doesn't lead anybody to repentance. Glory to God. Glory to God. So the gift of repentance is something we must really understand. Analyze. Embrace. And of course be grateful for. What does repentance mean in actual practical terms? It means to change your mind, to change your ways, and to change your actions. Simple terms. Greek and Hebrew definitions combined together. Change your mind, change your ways, change your actions. But it also means to turn away from what is wrong and turn towards what is right. So if I'm about to repent actually, physically, visibly right now, it means that I will turn away from you and turn towards the pulpit. That's repentance. So turn away from and turn towards. Unfortunately, many Christians do not know what repentance really is. What many Christians call repentance is to turn sideways. What many Christians practice as repentance is that they want to be in between the right and the wrong. They want to be able to see the right and the wrong at the same time. They want to be able to touch the right and the wrong at the same time. They want to be able to fellowship with good and with bad at the same time. They said they have turned, but what they did was this. They turned this way so that they can have both good and bad at the same time. That's not repentance. That's not repentance. Glory to God. Glory to God. I see a few scriptures here to emphasize the concept. Second Chronicles 7 and verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and then seek my face and then look at the next statement and turn from their wicked ways. Everybody say if my people. So we're not talking about sinners here because some people think that only unbelievers should repent. <laughs> nah, no. Because the concept is a turning from what is wrong. So anytime the believer is facing the wrong direction, doing the wrong thing, thinking the wrong thoughts, saying the wrong words, he should practice repentance. Glory to God. I said glory to God. So if they seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin 
and will heal their land. So, there's a lot of things that are attached, or there are many things attached to the act of repentance. Even though the process begins from God's gift, it continues with man's response to that gift, and then the effect can be so powerful. Prayers will be heard, sins will be forgiven, lands will be healed. Look at it in Ezekiel chapter 18. And verse 21. I'd like you to see the disposition of God towards the sinner, towards the wicked man. Ezekiel 18 and verse 21. If the wicked will turn from all his sins, so the phrase turn is a repentance term. Glory to God. Follow me. Follow me, please. I beg, I beg you. The man of God must not strive, he must be patient. He must be that paraventure. Paraventure. So let this be your own paraventure. Amen. Yeah. If the wicked will turn from all his sins, now we've read the, the context of if my people, now he's bringing another context of if the wicked, however, in a general context, the phrase if the wicked is not talking about Philistines or Amalekites. This was also supposed to be Israelites, Jews. Are we together? If he turns from all his sins which he has committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Verse 22 to 23, please. And his transgressions that he had committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Says the Lord. And not that he should return from his ways and live. Go ahead to verse 24. But when the righteous turns away. Okay. It goes on to the righteous. So let's stay at verse 23. So God has no pleasure in the destruction of the sinner. He does not take delight when the wicked perish. And so... He offers a chance of escape, which is repentance. And he says, irrespective of what has happened before, what has been done before, irrespective of the tag of wickedness that this man carries, if he turns, if he turns and keeps my status, whatever he has done before will no longer count. What will count is his new standing of righteousness. Hallelujah. That's a gospel the world needs to hear. Many people say, oh God can never forgive me. Do you know what I've done? Do you know the thief beside Jesus that was crucified with him? He didn't even have a chance to bear fruit of repentance. What I mean was, that he know, they, didn't even, they didn't even give him probation. He was a rascal all his life but on the day of his death. He repented. That's why when we get to God, to heaven rather, we say, God, you are not fair. This rapist, criminal, jihadist, on the day of his death, he repented and you accepted him. And God will say, my word cannot be broken. If the wicked repent, even if it's for one day, he repents. That very moment, all his wickedness does not count in my books. What a gracious God. 
I said, what a gracious God. I said, what a gracious God. And that's why all of us can be saved. Because you were not good. And even your righteousness was a filthy rack. But in the day we turned and repented by receiving the gospel. Remember to repent is to change your mind, to change your ways, and to change your actions. To turn away from and to turn towards. This is Jonah, I think, chapter 3 and verse 10. You might remember the story that Jonah prophesied the destruction of the city, Nineveh, and then they repented. They expressed sorrow of heart. They even fasted, even the animals fasted. And verse 10 says, God saw their works and they turned from their evil way, or rather that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil, that is God changed of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. Well, it was, as it were, scandalous. Because Jonah was angry. His entire prophetic ministry had been put to shambles. He prophesied that the city would be destroyed. And just because God was gracious, God changed his mind. I don't know if you understand <laughs> how embarrassing it is. To tell you, now you would die. You would die. You would die. It is settled. God told me. And actually, God told you. That was the Jonah context. You would die. And then later, God said, hey, Jonah, come, come. Yeah. They will not die. Huh. Why? <laughs> Let them die so I can fulfill my ministry. So that I know that there's a prophet in Israel. I said it and it happened. I see you, I say it and it happens. And God says, no. There's a principle of repentance that appeals to my mercy. And when that principle is applied, even me, I can repent. The power of repentance is not just something that affects your surrounding. Now, listen, listen. Although, you must understand holistically that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Some people have read that. So the original intention of God is not that anybody perish. Get that clear. However, because God is just and because sin will be punished and because the wages of sin is death. To affirm the goodness of God too in executing judgment on the wicked. That also has, then destruction also happens to the wicked. But even though somebody is on the verge of being destroyed and there is a repentance, God is not ashamed to say, I've changed my mind. He's not ashamed. You may say, ah, this God is a very confused God. Yesterday he said we are dying. Today he said he has changed his mind. Well, that's what repentance can do. Hallelujah. The soul that sinneth, he shall die. But if he repents, he shall live. And then we have it in Joel chapter 2 and verse 13. God speaks about 
repentance in a way that is not hypocritical. Rend your heart. And this is very important because you must understand in Jewish culture, when people sorrowed unto repentance, one of the things they did was to rend their garments. That is, they would tear their clothes. Imagine me repenting and these fine suits that my wife bought for me. I just say, Jai! Oh God! I tear it as an expression of my repentance. Yay! Oh God! They would tear, they would rend their garments. Even though, if you study the hypocrisy of the Jewish people, you will discover that many of them did not tear costly garments. They would look for cheap ash clothes to wear. Sack clothes and ashes, rather, sack clothes. Cheap clothes. Do not tear it. It's sack clothes now. Why don't you tear your royal robes? Your own bed clothes. Are you listening to me? So God says, well, I'm tired of all these hypocritical expressions of repentance. I don't want to see rending of garments again. Rend your heart. And the next statement, turn unto the Lord your God. And then it says why? For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repented him of the evil. So you see God in his word calling again and again for repentance. And the basis of this calling is that I am merciful. I am gracious. I don't want the wicked to perish. Glory to God. Let that be clear in your mind. God has no delight in the destruction of the sinner. He wants all men to be saved. But he only demands that we respond to the gift of repentance. So, repentance is a gift that God gives. However, we must receive it. Hello? Hello? Repentance is not a gift you give to God. So, say, I'm, I'm giving, I'm showing God my repentance. Mm, actually, repentance is that God gives you the gift of repentance, then you receive the gift by responding in turning. How a man receives the gift of repentance is that he turns. A man can hear about repentance if he does not turn, he has not repented. A man can cry about repentance if he has not turned. He has not repented. A man can tear his clothes, lament, even fast if he has not turned. He has not received the gift of repentance. Glory to God. Alright. I want to stress why repentance is a big deal. Just with a couple of verses. So that you can appreciate it and you can value it. It's a gift that is often underutilized, often undiscerned, because people do not even know the value of it. I was explaining to the church this morning how pain can be a gift. For instance, God gave us, oh, okay, <laughs> let's see, our physical, natural bodies currently have the capacity to feel pain. If you lose the capacity to feel pain, you may lose your life. Very soon. Because you will not be able to tell what hurts you. So something can hurt you. You may be bleeding, you will not know. And then you just suddenly... Because you have lost the sense of perception. 
the reasons why believers do not appreciate the gift of repentance is that they do not realize that nobody can turn without God helping them to turn. If you see a Christian doing shakara towards repentance and postponing repentance, what he thinks is that repentance is something that I do. Only me does it. He doesn't understand that, no. Repentance is something God gives and then you receive and respond. That is why while we have established the fact that God is always gracious, you need to also understand that your consistent rejection of the gift of repentance hardens your heart to a point where the capacity to respond to that gift diminishes greatly. If God is speaking to you about something and he says, change your ways, turn, change your ways, turn, change your ways, turn. It is not because he's going to run out of patience. No. It is that your, you see, your perception, your sensibility, your, your sensitivity towards his voice diminishes every time you say no to him. To a point where you would notice that a Christian can exist who does not feel the emotions of God anymore. Why? Because he kept rejecting the gift of repentance. That's a point where the conscience is seared. Teachings does not move them. Prophecy does not move them. Warnings does not move them. It is this point that is referred to in scriptures as stiff-necked. Stiff-necked. Where a neck, by virtue of constant rebellion, rejecting God's gift, is no longer capable of turning. Hello. It's not that God takes the gift away. It's that the capacity to turn and receive is no more there. Issue had got to that point. You see the consistency of their stiff necks in scriptures. Exodus chapter let's do 32 and verse 9 and then 33 verse 5 and then 33 verse 3 also. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people and behold is a stiff necked people. Now when God says this is because every time there is a consistency of rejecting the gift of God. So God says, I've observed them. I notice that when I warn, they don't listen. When I shout, they don't hear. They are a stiff-necked people. It's a disease, a terrible disease. If you don't see repentance as the gift of God, you can enter this realm. And to affirm that this is not, okay, okay, I'll show, I'll show two other scriptures. 
to affirm that it's not just an Old Testament reality. Even though the reference in Acts 7.51, put it in Acts 7.51, it's still talking about those who lived like the Jews in the wilderness. This is Stephen speaking to these guys. He stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. So, to be stiff-necked is not a neck issue. It's a heart and hearing issue. In the sense that people hear the truth and don't respond to the truth. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. Oh, there are Christians who resist the Holy Ghost today. They are filled with the Holy Ghost in the sense that they speak in tongues, but they resist them. As your fathers did, so do ye. Hebrews chapter 3. I'm not sure the exact verse, but look for the scriptures. If you hear his voice hiding at your heart, you should be downwards. It shouldn't be in the top five. Except I'm wrong in my assumption. Can you still hear me? Okay, verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. As in the day of provocation. So I'm saying that this stiff neck reality is not just a Jewish reality. And there are saints who can be experiencing these things. Stiff neck. They have lost the capacity to respond to God. The disease of constantly rejecting the voice of God has hardened their hearts. It says, hardening not your heart as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. Look at verse 8. All right, verse 9. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my works 40 years now. What God is saying was that there were several evidences of my generosity. There were several proofs of my greatness. They saw all of that. They saw the Red Sea open. They saw water from the rock. They saw manna from heaven. They saw all of that. And yet, they consistently hardened their hearts. Verse 10 says that they grieved them. They always heard in their hearts, they have not known my ways. Hallelujah. We read a sad story about Esau, Hebrews chapter 12, I think it was 27, Hebrews 12, 27. His story is very sad. Ah, not 27. Look for Esau's story. I'm not sure why I missed that verse. You see it in my notes? Oh, go to verse 17. Okay, Moses. 17, not 27. Sorry. Can you still hear me? <laughs> verse 16 first. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his bedrife. For you know how that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, and he found no place of repentance. Though he sought it carefully with tears. What he's saying here is that you can reject the gift of God to a point where it will be difficult to find it. It will be, in fact, almost impossible to find it. 
So Esau, it was not a case of forgiveness. One of the reasons why repentance is underemphasized is because forgiveness is overemphasized. Listen. You can overemphasize forgiveness and say, God will forgive me. Actually, you are correct in a sense. However, it's not about God offering forgiveness. It's about you receiving the gift. Follow. You see these theological issues? Don't mess it up. It's not, it's, the problem is not from God. It's that you can walk yourself into a shape where you can no longer receive because your heart is hardened. If you hear his voice, harden not your heart. So Esau sought repentance. He said he sought it carefully with tears. Remember, when he rejected the birthright, he thought that's where it ended or when he despised the birthright. He thought that was where it ended. And so on the day he was going to be blessed, his brother and his mother <laughs> a very terrible situation when your mother and your brother connived against you and as it was stole the blessing but we are told that the reason why the, the blessing could even be stolen was because he despised it and then when he came to the father and his father wanted to interestingly the father wanted to bless his soul do you remember the mother wanted to bless but the father wanted to bless his soul it was in the intention of Jacob to bless Esau. And so he sought it with tears. He begged. He said, is there not one blessing for me? Well, he could not. He got a few other things. But the firstborn blessing had been gone forever. When God calls for repentance, it's not because he's threatening you and saying, I'm running out of time. Oh, I go soon vex you. Mm. Is that there are certain things you can enter into. Certain destructions you can enter into. That it will be very difficult to reverse. Yeah. Very difficult. Very hard. Proverbs 29 and verse 1. He that is being often reproved hardeneth his neck you see this neck matter again everybody turn your neck turn your, turn your neck that will help your sleep okay. he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck what he's saying here is that when somebody who is consistently being instructed they say the same thing to the person every time they tell him something today tomorrow they tell him the same thing next we tell him the same thing what is happening that there is an hardening of the neck? Then look at what happens. It says, shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. That's the danger of hardening your neck. Is that the destruction will be sudden and there will be no remedy. You know, <laughs> there are many things you can fix. You can provide remedy to. But this hardness of neck thing, when it gets to a point, there will be no remedy. 
and it will be too sorting that you cannot even there will be no time to say you want to turn again it will be too sorting are you listening to me the opportunity to repent is a great gift say thank you jesus for repentance You, you, you must acknowledge that the capacity to repent is a great capacity. That you, you can still change your mind. Ah, we thank God for your life. But if you don't use that gift, you will notice that your neck will be hard and then suddenly without remedy. It's a dangerous place to be. And it's not about God will not forgive. I was watching Bidak on this video the other day. Who <laughs> do I'm not a fan of? Many of those tales because they are very heartbreaking. But it's what it is. Grace, man of God. I didn't even like what the man said or what Muragulu said the man said. And the man fell. As it were. He was a great man of God, renowned man of God. And then he fell into sexual sin. And he did not recover in the sense that his ministry crashed and collapsed. And then um, he was told, or, I mean, Bagule was told by the man that the phrase he used was fear women. No, that's the phrase I didn't like. Me, I don't fear women. Amen. Amen. I fear my flesh. It's not women that's your problem. It's your flesh. Put it under. Say, fear this creature. Where's something to fear them? You are overrating these issues. It's not a fear woman issue. It's put your body under. And be vigilant and be sober. And don't harden your heart. That's the issue. Are we clear? But the man never recovered, as it were, ministerially. Did God forgive him? Of course. Ah, God. God knows he withhold forgiveness. But he has suddenly been destroyed without remedy. Let me mention a couple of things, about three of them that we should repent from. That will be that for my teaching this morning. Remember, to repent is to turn away from what is wrong, what is improper, what is not fitting, what is not appropriate, what is not right, and then turn towards God. Let me see First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. On the screen, please. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. Alright, this captures the concept. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. That is, they showed the potency of our ministry. Are we still together? You see, follow, I'll come back to this verse. You see, every time God speaks patiently through his servants, Every time he says the same thing through his servant, it is offering you the gift of repentance. Like I said, however, do not, do not train yourself to constantly reject that gift. Otherwise, you can get to a point where 
the voice of God is no longer discernible or discernible to your heart. Where you will have the capacity to argue against God. That's a bad place. That's a very bad place. That's a place of doom. Are we together? And how you turn to God from idols. So turn to God from idols. Repentance is turned to from. In repentance, you must ask yourself, what am I turning to? Then what am I turning from? So I want to show you in a couple of minutes the things that God has laid in my heart as an emphasis on the kinds of repentance we need to execute. The first is from our verse here. Turn from idols. Repent from idols. That's the first kind of repentance you need to practice. Repenting from idols. So the Thessalonian church repented from idols and then they turned towards the living God. I think it was First John chapter 5 and verse 21 that says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Once again, to explain the fact that it is not an unbeliever context. Amen. Yeah. So we are Christians now. We are not idol worshippers. Why is God's word saying we should turn from idols? Because it's possible to be a believer who is an idol worshipper. Possible. Nah, my name is Raphael, Michael. Yet, you are serving Lucifer. You are bowing to Lucifer. Possible. So be careful. The Jews were the people of God. When they made that golden calf and bowed to it, their identity did not change. They were still my people. Are you listening to me? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wickedness. So my people can turn from idols because my people can also serve idols. Repent from idolatry. Idolatry is a big plague today because there is a multiplication of idols. God says, repent from idolatry. Repent from idolatry. I will explain what an idol is. In a way we can relate, particularly in our generation, there are too many idols. And God says, repent. Listen, one of the reasons why God commands repentance is because God has a covenant. He cannot bless or help anything that is wrong. Listen, no matter how he likes you, no matter how he loves you, if you are standing in the seats of discomfort, or sitting in the seat of discomfort, standing in the way of sinners, that location has put you in a place where you can't be helped. So God loves you. God loves you. God will say, turn. I can't get to you there. Turn. Turn. It's not about God loves me. God forgive me. Those things are there. Yes, but that's not all to the equation. Does God love Israel? Yes. He says, turn. If my people will turn. Why can't you help them without turning? I cannot support evil. I'm so good. I'm perfectly good. Even if the evil is in my son, I cannot support him. 
It's not, it's not a sentimental issue. It's not, it's not an emotion. I'm God's child now. I'm God's favorite baby. God's favorite baby, they cry you. They cry. If you not turn, you think Jesus wanted to lose Judas? You think it was a thing of joy? You think Jesus didn't love Judas? You think he didn't care for him? You think he could not forgive him? Oh, come on. People have, you see, if you, if you don't know the place of these things, you will overrate, like I said, the forgiveness of God. And because of that, underrate the gift of repentance and your response to, I've been wondering, but, and I'm a child of God, though. What did you turn? Little children, keep yourself from idols. In First Corinthians chapter ten seven, we see a dimension of idolatry, which is the. I've said this before, but let me say it again. It seems to be the most dominant or prominent kind of idolatry. Neither be ye idolaters, as with some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to. And rose up to, and rose up to, and rose up to, and so we see clearly from this verse that one of the doors, pathways to idolatry, now play, 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 play. Now what I mean by play, in in actual terms, are actually sexual games. But in a general, generic perception, we see that pleasure triggers idolatry. Or pleasure leads to idolatry. Pleasure. So just to confirm what I'm saying, put it in the message. If you have the message. The message will munch maybe verse 6, 7, and 8 together. So, okay. The message says in verse 7, First, the people partied, then they threw a dance. What does the next verse say? Okay. We must not be sexually promiscuous. Okay. Check the NLT. I don't want to understand when it says play, what it meant. Okay. The people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. Now, basically, let me explain. And maybe other verses can confirm, but when you see play there, it's actually referring to things that involve temple prostitutes, things that involved sexual immorality, things that involved sexual perversion. That's why when somebody goes to a club, they drink. They get high, and as long as there are available opportunities, they have sex. It's pleasure. It's a pleasure sequence. The people partied, and then they indulged in sexual activity. But the emphasis of my teaching is on sexual activity. It's how pleasure is a very wide open door towards idol worship. 
The reason why many Christians disobey God, rebel, harden their hearts is because what they are doing that God wants them to stop is sweet. Is sweet. Odun, Odun, Odun. Nine the key person. If you are going to be a believer who does not serve idols, you must learn to prioritize God's pleasure over your pleasure. I'll say it again. Listen. Listen carefully. If you are going to be a believer who keeps himself from idols, you must learn to prioritize God's pleasure over your pleasure. God has not called us to suffering in the sense that God does not delight in our suffering. In the sense that there are pleasures available in God. However, the priority is not your pleasure. If, your, your, if the dominant philosophy of your life is my pleasure, I want to enjoy myself, I want to play, you will hurt yourself. You will wound yourself. You will kill yourself. If you walk after the flesh, you will surely die. Surely. Eve ate the tree. It was pleasurable in the mouth. And she died. Pleasure. I've taught you this before. How Satan always plays the pleasure card. Pleasure. Many of the things that God will demand on you may inconvenience you. But they are good for you. Amen. Many of the instructions of God may not be palatable. They may not be quotable quotes. But they are good for you. They may, be, they may be bitter herbs, but they are good for you. Train yourself. One of the reasons why modern preaching is so difficult is because a generation is hyped on pleasure. They can't concentrate on anything that is not pleasurable. They will no longer endure sound doctrine. That's in Second Timothy chapter 3. But shall hip-hop teachers after their own lust have each year. You see, you see, when somebody is exercised only in the of pleasure, it's difficult to teach the truth, just simply teach it. We are very hyped in church circles when the activity is pleasurable. Very hyped. Very active. Very alert. But once we remove pleasure from the equation, we struggle. We, it's, a, it's a terrible struggle. That's why we are weak. What makes a soldier strong is that he prioritizes not pleasure. He prioritizes stamina. The exercise he does are not meant to be enjoyable. They are meant to make him strong because you are on the battlefield. Imagine a soldier. They gave him five minutes of break and they say pick any food or drink. Imagine a soldier picking sweets. Picking sweet. Which soldier. If, if he's a white soldier himself, he should pick more weapons than food. Because it's about survival. Not pleasure. People chase pleasure and they, they stop, in fact, they lose survival. The idolatry of play play. I taught you this when I was teaching you on the prophet of scriptures, how entertainment 
is the greatest choker of God's word. Why you are distracted is because of what you saw yesterday in entertainment. It's because of what you will see after today in entertainment. Play. The people rose up and played. And played. And played. You notice that in a generation where play has multiplied, idols have multiplied. It's not a coincidence. Because in the final analysis, an idol is everything that distracts you from God. An idol is anything that distracts you from God. Is anything that distracts you from God. Is anything that distracts you from God. Play. Tell your neighbor, stop playing. Hmm. Don't say it like that. I know what you're saying. That's not what I'm saying. When an entertainment change your mind too. Tell your neighbor, stop playing. The second thing about idolatry that I want to emphasize here is creating another image of God is also another kind of idolatry. And this is linked to ignorance. Creating a false image of God. I am not always excited about the popularity of God. The popularity of God doesn't excite me. Why? Because I know that there are many people with a false image of God. That's why in a generation like ours, somebody can really believe that he can twerk to the glory of God. You see, when, when people are getting excited about God, I don't get excited. Because I want to confirm what version of God are you talking about? So we are worshiping God. See us in the presence of God. It doesn't excite me because what kind of God are you talking about? With God. The multiplication of idols is because of the ignorance of man that allows man to be creative. And in attempting to create, man now even attempts to create God. A God who's cool with homosexuality. So, you see all the rave about God, and you see thousands of people packed in arenas where they are worshiping God. He doesn't, I have never been impressed by it. Because I say, I agree that they say they are worshiping God, but what kind of God? What, which, which God? The day Israel brought a golden calf made from their earrings and their bangles, they bowed down and said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. If you heard them say that, they would say, wow, this God is very powerful. Meanwhile, they just successfully created their own fashion. A God that they could control, they could carry him about. You could not, you could not talk. You could not rebuke them. It was a very, it was a very woke, comfortable God. 
So when people are, say, oh God, 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 I want to be sure, well, which, which God? Because there are many idols. Little children, keep yourself from idols. If you don't know God, you will worship idols. I'm telling you, there is no other way. You will twerk to the glory of Satan and say Jesus is glorified. I'm telling you. You will share testimonies to the praise of the devil and you say praise that live in Jesus. Satan will collect your hallelujah and store it in a, in, a, in a cup and say, well done my guy if you don't know God. Turn away from ignorance. Turn towards truth. There is no other way to escape idols in our generation than to know the Lord. Men will come in that day saying, I am Christ. Ha! With sign one, lying wonders, false miracles. Many people parading as men of God, as servants of Satan. If you don't, if you don't know God, you would sow dangerous seeds into their ministry. You will pray for them. They will put you in a WhatsApp group. Mentees of the prophet. You think you are doing ministry to me when you are serving Satan? Are you listening to me? No God. If not, you create a false image of God and you will be bound down worshiping. And say, this is the God that brought me out of hell. And Satan will say, what Sherry? My guy. No God. Idolatry is rampant because ignorance is rampant. People don't even know what is acceptable in the sight of the true God. They don't know. You see people offer this to God and say, oh God, receive it. And I'm like, if you know God, you know you cannot collect that thing. You will know. God can't receive this thing. But you don't know. You think it's just a puppet. You can It's like a beggar. You turn it to him and then he says, ah, I'm very hungry. The Bible says that uh, he seeked those who shall, who shall, who shall worship him. As soon as I don't give me worship now, hey, Madam Benef. And so what is worship? I don't hear today that the average Christian thinks about God only on Sunday. Monday to Saturday, he thinks about every other thing. And then on Sunday, he's thinking, I'm giving God my dance offering. You don't know God. You think it's that cheap. I'm saying that if that dance offering is only something you do on Sunday, it doesn't count. Because God only receives from his own. And his own does not mean somebody who just bears a Christian tag. No. Most of what we offer as worship, once again, are things that are pleasing to us. That's why we can't relate with the original meaning of Romans 12 too. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. It is your reasonable act of worship. We can't relate. We can't relate. We can't relate with worship that does not give us pleasure. Because, like I was saying in my third point, we are the God of ourselves. Yeah. Are you listening to me? Repent. Repent. Turn away from idols. Know the Lord. And then third dimension of idolatry 
is self-idolatry, self-idolatry, self-idolatry. The problem with self-idolatry is that it is not in a casual sense or it is not from an obvious perspective evil. Self-love, for instance, is sold as a very good thing. Love yourself, oh. And ridiculous theologians will tell you, if you don't love yourself, you can't love others. Nothing in the Bible says that. Nothing. You are not studying enough to come to that conclusion. Can you still hear me? Self-idolatry is rampant because it seems like a good thing to live for yourself. Even though the Bible clearly says, 2 Corinthians 5.15, so that those who live should not live unto themselves. But it seems like a good thing to live for yourself. Nobody would have ever imagined living for yourself is a bad thing. How can it be a bad thing? The definition, that's why I say, when you say repentance is turning from the bad, to the good. What is your definition of bad? How do you define bad? I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't play. But if you are living for yourself, bad stuff. You are breaking God's word. This is not my opinion. This is scripture. Put it again. Let them see it. Second Corinthians 5.15 those which live henceforth should not live unto themselves. Where do you get the joy that you should live for yourself? So that's why many people have become the God. You see, who you live for is, for, is your God. Whoever you live for is your God. Idolatry is so easy. Yeah. It can be packaged in very, very seemingly good things. You think you're, you're, you think you're, you're, you're a great guy. That's why you're doing that. Meanwhile, you're an idol worshiper. Glory to God. Little children, keep yourself from idols. One of the reasons why the repentance away from self is the most difficult is because ah, it takes a great deal of humility to look away from yourself. Do you know that even with respect to salvation, you have to look away from yourself and look unto God. Look away from yourself. Look away from yourself. Fulfilling ministry, look away from yourself. Doing great things for God, look away from yourself. Being impactful, look away from yourself. The pattern has been done and set by Jesus already. There is no other way to live except to deny yourself. Why self-denial is less popular than self-love amongst Christians is, is, is a mystery. Why many believers have heard sermons of self-love but have never heard about self-denial is a mystery. That's why we have the kind of Christianity we have today. A self-love Christianity. Everybody do it. What makes them happy? Now, 
That's why there's no sacrifice. That's why there are no priests. That's why there is no kingdom. That's why there are no soldiers. We have weaklings, weaklings, weaklings. Because they have been taught, love yourself, take care of yourself, pamper yourself, enjoy yourself, be happy. Are you listening to me? Let me progress here, please. Repent from idols. Secondly, repent from the subtle parts of destruction. And there are two parts of destructions I want to emphasize this morning. It's subtle, that is, it does not appear like destruction. But it's a part of destruction. One of the ways you can examine the concept of repentance is to check what destroyed other people and tell yourself, I will not walk in their shoes. Check. You see, check. Check your fathers. Check your grandfathers. Check the fathers of scripture. See how they walked that handed to their destruction. Not that led to their destruction. I tell yourself, I will not walk in this path. I will not. That's the idea of First Corinthians 10. Paul says, don't let us be like the Jews of old. They rose up to play. They were destroyed in the wilderness. One subtle part of destruction is murmuring and complaining. It's subtle. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't seem like it. People murmur as crews. People complain as fun. Meanwhile, it's a part of destruction. I've read the book of Numbers and consistently you notice the dominant sin of the Jews was not fornication. It was murmuring and complaining. First Corinthians chapter 10 take verse 9 there about. Just give me the murmuring emphasis. Murmuring and complaining. Murmuring and complaining. Verse 10. Thank you. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. The part of destruction It's a, part, it's a part of murmuring. If you are going to stay safe, abstain from murmurings. Repent from murmurings. Hallelujah. I always wonder, but I've stopped wondering because I found out the answer some weeks ago in study. Why people are more eager to share bad news about themselves than good news? I discovered it was because bad news sells faster gets more attention. People are more likely to respond to your bad news sharing than your good news sharing. That's how the world is. If you read breaking news and it's a good thing, people may not read. If you read breaking news and it's a good thing, people may not read. When it's a bad thing, people are plunging to it. So some people even more, more to get attention. And that's terrible. God says, repent from murmuring. Israel kept on murmuring. God kept on correcting them. They did not hear. Till they were destroyed. The temptation to murmur is a temptation to be destroyed. Stop murmuring. 
Glory to God. Things are tough. Things are hard. We are only eating manna. In the wilderness. Where is the land flow with milk and honey? I know you are in the wilderness of your life. You have not blown yet. Or so you think. Why don't you see the future? I'm grateful. Why don't you remember the past? I'm grateful. You are in the wilderness, but you are not in Egypt. Why don't you be grateful? Every time I spend a lot and I complain to my wife, I repent by remembering the fact that it is somebody that has that spends a lot. <laughs> if you don't get what you go spend, debit a lot, debit a lot, debit a lot, debit a lot. Huh? But it's because there was once upon a time he carried a lot that allowed for debit a lot to be flowing. Is that not so? So, when your alert is green, be grateful. Or when your account is green, be grateful. When it is red, say, God, thank you for something is coming. This is not my final bus stop. It does not end here. Hallelujah! The gift of repentance repents from murmurings. Repent. One of the things that murmuring does is to paint God in a bad light. When you murmur, you give a picture of an irresponsible father. You make God seem to be wicked and cruel. You appear as an orphan, like a bastard. When you murmur. When you murmur, God gets a bad reputation. When you murmur. Temptation to mama will always be there. But God is with us. Hallelujah! And then, ungodly relationships. A part of destruction to avoid, to repent from. Ungodly relationships. Whether you like it or not, evil communication, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 33, evil companionship, evil friendship, evil relationship, corrupt good manners. He that works with the wise will be wise. The companions of fools will be destroyed. Repent. Turn away from ungodly relationships. Use this sermon to examine your 2023. That's what I'm trying to do. So that you can have a better next year, a better future. You have to know what to turn away from and what to turn towards. Whether you like it or not, you are going to be a product of many of your friends. Your life, rather, is going to be a product of many of your relationships. You can't escape it. It will show. Whether you are being with good men or bad men, it will show. In your marriage house, your marital house, it will show. Whether you work with wise people or foolish people, it will show there. When you begin to parent, it will show. Whether you work with the wise or you work with fools, it will show. It will show. He says, show me your friend and I will tell you who you are. Many of us are very sentimental about this matter. Walking in the way of sinners and you find it difficult to turn away because you are saying, they will feel bad. 
it is not every relationship you walk away from that will feel good. But for the sake of destiny, do it. Tell your neighbor, just do it. I can imagine the Ahab and Jehoshaphat story. What the way Ahab spoke to Jehoshaphat? He said, you're my brother. You should be in Second Chronicles there about you're my brother. You know, we are friends now. We serve the same God. We are all serving the same God. Hey! Follow me to war. He said, you stay in front, I'll stay at the back. Ha! Joshua was foolish. He loved God, but he was foolish. How many believers are foolish? You are following an enemy of God to war because he told you we are serving the same God. Because his name is a Jewish name. It's not by names. It's not by tags. I'm also a Christian. This is my tight card. I also attend church. Hey! When there is no one to toast you, be careful. If somebody said I'm also a Christian, it means that there's something about his life that contradicts his confession. See, I'm a Christian like you now. <laughs> somebody was telling my wife something some days ago. Say, when they bring an alaga, say, this alaga is even a pastor. So once they say he's even a pastor, wrong. I have never introduced myself as a man of God in any place. What's your name? Judah Lord If you have to say you're a pastor, maybe you're looking for an advantage. We should see. After five minutes, they should say, eh, sir, are you a man of God? Still say no, I'm a Christian. Eh, okay. Eh, I want to ask what as in are you a pastor? Why are you asking? Do you need prayers? It's very like that. Now put a clutch stick on your car. Clutch. What for? I like the way they say in a pastor. Then they call him money pass. I say, you see, we're prophetess. Hey, run, oh, oh, run. I told you last week, the one that did me and my wife, if I catch her, hold her by the neck. They told us, that she said, I won't mention the name of the church. She said, pastor there. She does not like money. She said, oh, well. Don't let them bribe you with, I'm also a Christian. If you are a Christian, it's show. It's show. Many boyfriends looking for sex from their wives. That's what they, or from their from their girlfriend. That's what they say. Me too, I'm a Christian like you. Stop the only only. <laughs> yeah, Christian like me. What a Christian. What a fashion. Christian Pro Max. Upgraded edition. A Christian, you don't practice the word of God. I'm a Christian like you too. No, you're a Christian, but you're not a Christian like me. Yeah, Christian, I agree. But like me, I no, no, no. Amen. Turn away from ungodly relationships. Turn away from ungodly relationships. Please don't destroy yourself because of a friend. Ah, no. Please. Please. You can only save your friend if you succeed. If you survive. But if you get destroyed, how will you be able to save your friend? It's better your friend rejects you and says, yeah, you left me alone. You don't like me again. You're too spiritual. Then later, by intercession, by prayer, by sound doctrine, you're able to convince them into the light. It's better like that. 
that you follow them into darkness and drown together. When they're not dying, they're saying, if you used to pray, pray now, call your God. You will not laugh in your heart because you know you have compromised. Amen. Did they make sense? Yes, Did they feel them? Yes, Did they hear them? Yes, you go do them? Yes, okay. I believe you. The man of God must not strive. He must be patient. But adventure. That God will grant them repentance. But adventure. Now, I'm preaching hope. Because this is why I don't talk. I don't talk before. If God says, I talk again, he gets why. Amen. Amen. Let me close. Repent from whatever God is not focusing on. Repent from idols. Repent from subtle parts of destructions. Repent from whatever God is not focused on. For instance, God is not focusing on your past. Turn away from your past. Stop focusing on what God is not focusing on. God is not focusing on your mistakes. Stop focusing on your mistakes. Turn! Repent! The repentance from mistakes that many Christians need to practice is not stopping to do the wrong things. Many believers have stopped doing the wrong things. Either they are still sorrowing, crying, weeping over the wrong things that they did some time ago. And God says, I have removed it from my book. Why are you still remembering it? Why are you still focused on it? Repent. Boom. Your past is your past. You have a present and a future. Hallelujah. Stop focusing on what God is not focusing on. Some of you are focusing on your weaknesses. I'm a child that cannot speak. God says, no, you are my prophet, ordained from your mother's womb. Come on. Before you were formed, I knew thee and ordained thee. I'm a stammerer. I cannot speak. I'm not the one who creates mouth. Stop focusing on what God is not focusing on. I failed 77 times. That's not God's focus. Stand ye in the power of God. That's God's focus. Stand, run, walk, move, go. Don't prioritize what God is not prioritizing. Turn, repent. Are you listening to me here? Remember to repent. Turn. When you are turned in a direction or facing a direction, you can only see what's in that direction. Some of you are looking at what God is not looking at. Because your directions are opposite. You are looking at your shortcomings, looking at your mistakes. God is not looking at that. God says, I've called you. I've chosen you. I've anointed you. I've ordained you. Can't you see what I'm saying? Hallelujah. God does not see the way man sees. Man sees the outward. God sees the inward. God sees the end. Even from the beginning. Man sees in the space, on the variety of time, space, and matter. God sees the invincible. Turn. Repent. There are things about your life 
that are the way they are because you are only focusing on what Satan is doing and not what God is doing. Some people's entire prayer points is focused on what Satan has done, what Satan will do, what Satan is doing, what Satan said he will do. Even the things that Satan cannot do. People focus their entire lives on it. So they live wretched average lives. And God is trying to get your attention. God is trying to get your attention. In the last days, demons, witchcraft, satanic activities will increase. But in the last days, signs and wonders will also increase. I will focus on the positive. Amen. Amen. I'm not worried about the empire of Satan. It's not going to last for long. I'm not agitated on what Satan is doing. He's just wasting his time. He knows his time is short. He knows he will never be God over the universe. His lease will soon run out, he knows. I'm not going to be distracted by what Satan is saying. I'll rather focus on what God is saying. Amen. Amen. Come on. Don't live all your life running out of character because Satan said something. There are so many things God has said in his word. Focus on what he has said. Repent. Turn. Change your mind. Change your ways. Change your actions. Change your beliefs. Change your reasoning. Change. Turn. 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 Just yesterday or two days ago, I was reading the story of Ezekiah and the Sennacherib king also of Assyria also. I was making threats, making threats, making threats. Said very ridiculous things. Said, don't, don't ever think that your God can save you from my hands. I, I laughed. Why does a woman be talk like this? I'm not told. Ezekiah, you, you won't fight. I'm taking it very personal. And one angel killed, I think one of them had 80,000 soldiers. One angel. They that are for you are, are more than those that are against you. Stop focusing on what is against you for goodness sake. There are more angels than demons. Amen. It's one third of the angels that fell. One third. The two thirds are still on our side. Glory to God. Turn to your feet. I want you to turn in your heart. Don't rend your mouth. Don't rend your garment. Rend your heart. I'm not saying you should not pray. But mean what you say. I have given you the areas where I feel that God wants you to turn. This audience, this church, this people. I want you to make a decision in your mind and say, oh God, help me. I am receiving the gift of repentance now and I am turning. I'm turning. Changing direction. Changing focus. Changing priority. Changing pursuits. I'm turning. I'm turning. Make sure your heart is turning. Don't be stiff-necked. You have heard his voice. Don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. This activity will open up several other possibilities to you. When you turn. When you turn. You discover God was not far. God is not far. Turn. Turn away from murmurings. Turn away from complaints. Turn away from ungodly relationships. Turn away from idols. Turn towards God. Turn towards God. God, I will behold you in the midst of the storm. I will keep my eyes on you. 
will keep my eyes on you. The threats and the distractions notwithstanding, my eyes will see Jesus. My eyes will see Jesus. I see you, O oh God, walking behind the scenes, walking behind the scenes. You are greater than the enemy. You are greater than the storm. You are greater than the threats. I choose to see you. I choose to see you. My heart turns to God. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. It's all about you. Oh, sing if you know it. Come on. I'm sorry, Lord. The things I made life about. Now I know it's all about you. Life is about you, oh God. It's about your glory, your pleasure, your honor. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I made. It's all about you. focus we change priority thank you lord for this massive gift the capacity to change we are grateful blessed be the name of the lord in jesus name we pray
trust you have been blessed by this message. Kindly reach us for feedback and testimonies through judaholorumai at gmail.com.